It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We have an absolutely amazing guest today, Christine Powers. Uh, I will tell you more about her in a minute. We are live streaming on YouTube and Facebook through Bold Brave Media. So let me tell you about Christine. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> There's so much. I, I, I'm, I'm going to keep this short, actually, and let Christine speak for herself but briefly, uh, she is, let me see, what was the term she used here? Uh, she's a, she's a, an amplifier of amplifiers. So people who are leaders are drawn into her web. She's also the founder of the Philosopher's Camp and also um, Asa Adirondacks, and we'll, I'm, I'm curious about the distinction there. We'll get that into that later. But she works and plays and soothes and heals individuals on a 100-acre center in the Adirondacks in New York State. So welcome, Christine. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be a little quieter here. Actually, let's let's go back for a minute. Just since I already mentioned, is there a difference between Asa Adirondacks 
and the philosopher's camp? There is. It's it's a great question, and you've tapped into the heart of um, our explorations over the last few years. Asa Adirondack is the name of the land. It's the name of the center. Um, Asa, A-S-A, means refuge and sanctuary in Latin. And we had thought about naming the whole place the Philosopher's Camp. I don't know if many of the viewers are aware, but the Adirondack Mountains of upstate New York are 6 million acres, and many of the wealthy socialites and industrialists that had mansions in Newport, a lot of us know about them, they also had big, big, what they called great camps, summer lodges in the Adirondacks. So we thought about naming the whole thing, the Philosopher's Camp, as kind of a great camp, but it didn't really sit right. Philosopher's Camp is more of an experience. It's a community. And uh, that's actually resurrected for a modern-day paradigm from an actual event led by Ralph Waldo Emerson here in these same mountains from 1858. Okay, that, that certainly helps clarify the distinction. Now let's go back to the way I often like to start this show, which is an exploration of your own childhood, and particularly focusing on those transition points where suddenly you had this aha experience or you did something differently that made you move on in a different direction. In, in short, I'm interested in exploring how you got to where you are now from where you started out. So <laughs> do you have some stories to tell us? Sure. So who I am now is a uh... Uh, I would say a student of the divine uh, because we can never really know, right? You, you and I, one of the things that brought us together is we both love language. We both love words. We both love the energy of words and they're so inadequate. So to say I'm a student of the divine is another way of saying it's probably divinity has been my greatest hobby my whole life. So it's the first memory I have putting into context that I was born into an Irish Catholic family and that I went through Catholic schooling from kindergarten all the way through the University of Notre Dame, that where my, it's my alma mater. Um, here's a good one. Second grade is a time where a lot of Catholic kids get communion. And I thought it was ridiculous <laughs> to have all these girls with, you know, white veils and little white dresses and white patent leather shoes walking down the aisle paired up with a boy <laughs> in a little suit like we were like being married off or something. And this this pageantry and this ceremony in the church. And it just felt all wrong to me. And so let's keep in mind, I'm seven years old. So uh, we were very close friends with um, one of the parish priests who was a really cool guy. And what I asked for and was able to receive actually was that I received my first communion at home in a home mass in our living room. I baked my own bread. And then <laughs> after I received communion, I gave communion to everybody else in the room. 
<laughs> picked my own readings, picked the music. So that kind of gives you a sense of the trajectory uh, of my life, always questioning, always. And I, I never understood why there had to be a priest between me and my God. You know, I never understood that. Why did I need an intermediary to intercede on my behalf? It, it just felt really um, wrong. Again, wrong. You know, at, at, the, at the time of seven, ten years old, you don't have the language, right, for it. It just didn't felt wrong. But now, it, you know, now I know it, it feels contrived. It feels patriarchal, right? All those those words that we grow into to put names to the things that we were feeling just naturally. So that's a good example. Um, I would say that I am profoundly grateful to Catholicism for schooling me and opening me to the concept of miracles and angels and ritual and ceremony and history and all the richness, you know, all the positive things um, and community, you know, community. Um, one of the things that I have found breaking away from any organized religion is that um, it's difficult to find community uh, when you're quote spiritual but not religious right um, let's see one other for you um, one of the things I've learned about myself over the years as well a pivotal pivotal moment uh, two things happened one, when I was 19, uh, I was in the University of Notre Dame Corral, which was very prestigious. And um, I decided it would be a good idea to skip our concert with the South Bend Symphony for Beethoven's Ninth, because I wanted to go see my ex-boyfriend at a party. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just saying. So that was kind of a problem because I was one of the few sopranos that was, yeah, I was very strong in the group and I uh, frequently soloed in different things. So fast forward, I got kicked out. I got kicked out, of course, because I was seen by a graduate student at the liquor store buying <laughs> cases of booze, even though I was underage. And uh, at a, as things wound over the course of the next several months, I asked to come back to the group um, about six months later. Um, and this was after the conductor had asked me at the beginning of the next school semester to come back that he needed me. And I was so proud, I was so full of pride, so proudful, so arrogant. I said, no, I'm not coming back. And then I realized how lonely I was, how my voice is the expression of my soul, how when I don't sing, I get soul sick. And so when I went back six months later to ask him, he refused me. And I was invited by several other groups on campus to join. And I spurned them all, Janet, I spurned them all. And what began was a 10 year period of silence, where I refused to sing. So some of this was born of, you know, again, arrogance, stubbornness. Um, but what I didn't realize was how much I was injuring myself. And it was born of having been a child prodigy. And there were so many expectations placed on me as a singer. I had originally gone to Northwestern and I was in the theater program and dropped out. Right. And so I was longing to be a professional soprano, but 
ultimately never had the courage to do it, right? So there were it was very complex. But a pivotal period happened when I was 30, turning 30, and I was in a marriage that, you know, it no fault of my first husband, but we got engaged and married when we were both 21. And, uh, you know, had children. So I'm 30 years old. I have two children. I'm running a business. Um, I have a husband who travels all the time. And I was doing graphic design and copywriting. And the way I was going to get out of it was that I would regularly rehearse my eulogy (laughs) because I was going to die from breast cancer because (laughs) nobody divorced in my family. You don't do that kind of thing. So. What ended up happening is one of my clients who ran a PR agency told me about this woman who was a Sufi guide and she was a professional soprano and she was doing a weekend workshop on, so it was called Soul Song. And I decided for my, for my 30th birthday that I needed to go. And so... I trudged myself off. I was desperately unhappy. And I sang Summertime, right? The the spiritual. For the first time I sang in 30 years. And that cracked me open to come back to my spiritual, mystical, holistic journey where literally my voice and my spirit, um, they always need to be expressed together in tandem. That was That was a huge, huge point in my life as well. Wow. Um, there's so many touch, there's so many touch points here. Uh, we'll have to figure out which ones we're going to explore when we come back to planetary peace, power, and prosperity. My guest today, Christine Powers. I'm your host, Dr. Janet Smith Warfield, live streaming on YouTube and Facebook through Bold Brave media bold brave tv so join us when we come back and we'll chat some more with christine powers what if there were a super tiny device that could diagnose the brain and is smaller than a single human hair What if you could see inside the brain to help an epilepsy patient during surgery or to help the fight against Parkinson's disease? Dr. Patricia Broderick is proud to announce the Broderick Probe, a biomedical and electronic breakthrough. Imagine a probe to help with the understanding and potential cure of brain-related diseases. To learn more, listen live to the Easy Sense Radio Show with host Dr. Broderick. Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Bold Brave Media Network and TuneIn Radio. And to help support the Broderick Foundation, please go to EasySense.com and learn how, with your help, we can fight these horrific brain disorders. That's EasySense.com to learn more and help support the Broderick Foundation. Author, radio show host, and coach, John M. Hawkins, reveals strategies to help gain perspective, build confidence, find clarity, achieve goals. John M. Hawkins' new book, Coached to Greatness, Unlock Your Full Potential with Limitless Growth, published by iUniverse. Hawkins reveals strategies to help readers accomplish more. He believes the book can coach them to greatness. Hawkins says that the best athletes get to the top of their sport with the help of coaches, mentors, and others. He shares guidance that helps readers reflect on what motivates them, 
We discover and assess their core values, philosophies, and competencies, find settings that allow them to be the most productive, and track their progress towards accomplishing goals. Listen to John Hawkins' My Strategy, Saturdays, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the BBN Global Network and TuneIn Radio. Welcome back to Planetary Peace, Power, and Prosperity. My guest today is Christine Powers. I am your host, Dr. Janet Smith-Warfield. We're live streaming on Facebook and YouTube through Bulb Green Media. So welcome back, Christine. And you know, all your, oh my gosh, all your stories about singing and your soul song and uh, the fact that nobody, Catholics aren't allowed to get divorced, but the singing, my father was a music teacher mm-hmm. and we had such a cl- beautiful close family when I was growing up, but everybody lived in the same area too. For Thanksgiving, we'd all come together for this huge Thanksgiving dinner. And then it, when it was over, we would welcome in the Christmas season, my father would sit down at the piano. I sang soprano. My mother sang alto. My maternal grandfather sang baritone. And my father played uh, on the piano and filled in with, with whatever note needed to be filled in to bring about the harmony of the whole song. And I, yeah, I, I, I had the opportunity in college, uh, unlike you, I was not reared Catholic, I was reared Unitarian and went to a Quaker college. But when I was a Swarthmore, our select choir had the opportunity to sing with Eugene Ormandy and the Philadelphia Orchestra. So I, I mean, I love this theme that is suddenly emerging between us, which we had not discussed before we got on this show. So it's just so fascinating to me to explore this and this whole idea of, uh, um, you know, mystical experiences and mm. miracles and community. And of course, the etymology of Catholic Church is universal community mm-hmm. so again they're they're words as the buddhists would say the words are fingers pointing at the moon they're placeholders for an experience which truly is ineffable and cannot be described but we made up the words we do the best we can with what we've got but words separate divide and categorize and the underlying experience unifies mm-hmm. so um you have another story for us, I believe? Sure. Yeah, so the one of the life streams of my life is the, the intertwining of song, right? Um, my essence is sound. And my soul, probably my soul's most freest and highest expression is through sound. What's curious is I ended up not doing it professionally. I could have. I mean, I... How do I say it? I did do it professionally, but on the side, right? Um, professional caliber um, offerings, but I didn't do it full time. So one of the opportunities I had, so I ended up after this retreat, this soul song retreat, 
um, I ended up becoming a voice student of this teacher as well as a student of um, Sufism, but Anayat Khan's Indian Western, the Sufi Order of the West. So I became an initiate and went and went into a mystery school. So I'm building this strength for this whole decade of my 30s to remember who I am, uncover who I am, unleash my voice. I did end up getting a divorce at 33, right? I remarried and had another child by the time I was 36 to the love of my life. And um, so along this way, around uh, mid-30s, I was part of an ensemble that had the opportunity to travel through Sufi connections into Poland for a concert tour for three weeks. And it coincided, which was very fascinating with Hurricane Katrina. When Hurricane Katrina hit, I was in Krakow and watching from, you know, European news and most, you know, most the BBC, um, what was happening back in the U.S. And it was really surreal. But we did several concerts, including one in Warsaw um, at the Jewish Holocaust Institute. And it was a pivotal moment for me because I tackled the most difficult piece of my career, which was Bernstein's Kaddish number three, Song for the Dead. And mm -hmm. I, up until, you know, <laughs> a couple of days before, there were certain passages and notes that I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get them. I couldn't solidify them. I couldn't get them deep enough in my body. And I, it was hit or miss whether I was gonna hit the notes, right? But more than that, it was such a huge piece energetically. I had, even though I have a big body and a big voice, it, it was having trouble coming into my muscle memory, coming into the fiber of my being. And I'm the kind of singer that I run music in my sleep. Like I'm, if I I'm, have a concert or something coming up, I'm always doing music in the recesses of my mind nonstop. So the morning of, I was really terrified and I went Gosh, another, another, another foible of my personality coming through. I went to, uh, to our, um, you know, our leader and voice, my voice teacher and the organizer, um, and I said, I can't do it. We got to pull it. And and for the first time in several years, um, she turned on me and shocked me. You know, there was no softness. There was no nurturing. It was, you are a professional. Do your job. <laughs> no, 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 no. I get that. I get that right? shift. I get that shift. Go ahead. Yeah. Finish. So, so I, you know, I, I, I can't really tell you about the rest of the day, but I, I sat in my room and I ran and ran and ran the music. And that evening I say was probably the most rewarding of my career. Um, when it came time to do the Kaddish, it was perfect. Imperfect. <laughs> so, so, so deep, so powerful, so raw, so visceral, so heartfelt that I experienced something I never experienced. There was like a five minute, you know, in Europe they do this. And what was so shocking to me was that there were Holocaust survivors in the audience, right? And it was, you can see I'm moved now, right? It was so... Like talk about your your purpose and fulfilling a piece of destiny 
and bringing art and beauty and awakening to others, right? It was it was exquisite. And, um, you know, the, the encore went on and on and on and on for minutes, for minutes. And I had never experienced that. Um, I, I was used to getting standing ovations. I'm just going to be honest, but not like that. Not like that. That was that was a communing of spirits. That was a communing across time, across trauma, across tragedy, and in a, a bringing in of light. And I was the vehicle. It was probably one of the most purest times where I was the vehicle because I made mistakes. <laughs> Not well, yeah, yeah, you're talking about perfection. I'm thinking. I really am much more comfortable with excellence than perfection. I never consider myself perfect but you know another word that is popping into my mind as I'm listening to your stories and hearing you speak is the word overcoming which if you read the Christian book of Revelation I don't know how many times that word is mentioned and what you did in that story you just told with your teacher in your face saying you will do this you can do this you overcame and it was I magnificent and i overcame magnificent. myself <laughs> you overcame your fear maybe you overcame your focus on perfection as opposed to just being there and and yeah. doing, and, and 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 bringing everything you had yeah yeah I hit the stage singing when I was seven, right? And so I was used to it my whole life. I was used to the accolades and being dubbed a prodigy. And, and there's yin and yang with that, right? Um, initially, I excelled. And then because I never had to practice, I never did the foundational work, I never did my scales, I never did anything. When I got to bigger ponds with bigger fish, I collapsed, right? <laughs> because I hadn't, right? I hadn't done the 10,000 tennis strokes to perfect it, right? And I had always had such natural gifts that I never needed to. And, and that was a place where it showed up. And it was a place, yes, where it was a gut check. It was a gut check <laughs> for sure. And one of my favorite sayings now with more wisdom is, um, you know, go for fabulous because perfection is nothing more than a hungry ghost. Ooh, I like that one. <laughs> um. Oh, gosh. And, uh, you know, I am so very focused, too, on community, although I have come, well, I've come at it in sometimes in the same ways as you, but also in different ways. Um, you know, for example, I, mean, I, I guess because my parents were both teachers, I kind of had some advantages that other kids didn't have in school. I never really studied hard. I did what I was assigned to do. But it was easy for me, and it was kind of fun to learn and figure out how everything fit together. Um, but then I, too, went through a divorce after um, <laughs> exploring a group marriage, which... Um, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Time out. A group marriage? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm I not gonna let that go by. <laughs> Please do share more. <laughs> That's Actually, a little off the card. <laughs> I, I, 
I am in the process of trying to get another book out into the world called Surrendering into Soul, a heroine's journey. Well, the group marriage was definitely a, an eye-opening journey, but it was also, uh, it, was, it was a dark night of the soul for me. And from my perspective, it ripped apart two, two functional marriages and traumatized a pile of kids, threw me out onto the street with hardly a penny in my pocket. And I, that's when I decided to go to law school because nobody else was protecting me. We'll talk more when we come back. I think <laughs> to, so. I, I, I do think I, so. <laughs> to, to planetary peace, power, and prosperity. Uh, live streaming on YouTube and Facebook. Um, what else do I have to say here? Oh, my guest, Christine Bowers. I'm your host, Dr. Janet Smith Fort. The platform is Bold Brave Media. <laughs> Are you struggling to care for elderly parents or a spouse? Do you wonder if being a caregiver is making you sick? Are you worried about taking time off work to care for elderly parents and balance work, life, and caregiving? Has caregiving become exhausting and emotionally draining? Are you an aging adult who wants to remain independent, but you're not sure how? I'm Pamela D. Wilson. Join me for the Caring Generation radio show for caregivers and aging adults, Wednesday evenings, 6 Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 Central, and 9 Eastern, where I answer these questions and share tips for managing stress, family relationships, health, well-being, and more. Podcasts and transcripts of the Caring Generation are on my website, PamelaDWilson.com, plus my caregiving library, online caregiver support programs, and programs for corporations interested in supporting working caregivers. Help, hope, and support for caregivers is here on the Caring Generation and PamelaDWilson.com. The opiate epidemic has reached crisis levels, and with so many families affected by addiction, opiate-related drug overdoses, and death, the time is now to have a real constructive conversation about addiction that could lead to better prevention, treatment, and recovery. Alan Charles, author and keynote speaker on drug abuse and prevention, presents The Alan Charles Show. Alan brings a message of hope, sharing his unbelievable story of surviving a 24-year addiction to cocaine and highlights from his memoir, Walking Out the Other Side, an addict's journey from loneliness to life. His raw honesty and courageous heart breaks the stigma of addiction and offers a unique perspective into the mind of an addict. Join Alan each week as he brings his listeners to a true understanding of the grip of addiction. It is only with this understanding that we can begin to heal. The Alan Charles Show, Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on the BBM Global Network. We are back. What are we doing here anyway? Christine Bowers, my guest. Um, we are evolving. We are evolving planetary peace, power, and prosperity together uh, and just demonstrating all the pitfalls and challenges in, in, in creating, co-creating, and manifesting that. We are live streaming on YouTube and Facebook through Bold Brave Media. 
I'm your host today, Dr. Janet Smith-Warfield. So what do you want to talk about, Christine? So we're going to do a little role reversal because uh, you dropped a, a word bomb, <laughs> right? <laughs> the end of our last segment we were talking with freddie our producer in the break and freddie and i would like you to explain to us and all our viewers now and in the future more about uh what is a group marriage what was a group marriage right because we have polyamorous and all these things now what was it then and how how was that for your journey right because i've shared some of the bumps along the way for me so do share more please um I legally married the father of my children in 1958. And we had a, a really functional marriage for the first probably five or six years of our marriage. Uh, we had three sons and it, it, we were doing a lot of fun things together, but we had a horrible sexual relationship. And the harder I tried to be orgasmic, the less I was able to be orgasmic. And I, you know, I felt there was something wrong with me. But, you know, the rest of the marriage was really pretty good. We did a lot of fun things with the kids. I would read stories to them and sing songs to them before they went to sleep at night. We'd play games out in the backyard. My husband went out and earned the money and I stayed home and took care of the house and the kids. Traditional marriage for those times. And then we were really good friends with another couple who ultimately also had three children. And we did a lot of fun things together as two separate families. And we seemed to uh, have a lot of interesting conversations together. Well, the other guy then read a book called The Herod Experiment by a, a, an author named Robert Rimmer, who is now deceased. And um, it was about group marriages. The pull to it was that you discover things about yourself in a second or a third intimate relationship that you would never discover in a single intimate relationship. And that was quite true. We all read it. We talked about it for months. Is this something we ought to do or something we shouldn't do? And then uh, I don't even remember how, how we jumped into it. it. It kind of developed organically and it was kind of, well, let's explore this. You know, it might really be interesting to do. We did, there was a sexual exchange. Uh, I had a, an unbelievable sexual relationship with the other guy. My legal husband had a good sexual relationship. Of course, I, I don't know what it was, but I, you know, I'm assuming it was a good sexual relationship with the other woman. We, we were doing things with the kids. We would only get together on weekends. We weren't living in the same house. But it was like being on an emotional roller coaster. I had never before in my life ever been jealous. But there were times when jealousy arose for me in this relationship. We would have evening discussions about what we were experiencing. And as we talked, things would settle down and come back together again. This last, how long did it last? Six or seven years, I believe. And then the other guy um, got a, a 
really great job offer in California. We were in southern New Jersey at the time. He packed up with his legal wife and kids and moved out to California. And my legal husband and our kids stayed where we were in New Jersey. And we were all, we felt so bereft as if we just really lost something valuable. So there was a, a there were all these pulls between the cultural structure mm -hmm. and what we were doing. I mean, there was a neighbor who would really kind of, I think, reared Catholic, incidentally, who um, probably figured out what was going on. And she would then would not allow her kids to come over to our home and play with our kids. So there was that kind of a cultural um, outcast feeling to it. Uh, sure, I'm, I'm going to cut this short, but unless you have specific questions, but the way it ended was um, the other guy who was out in California got another job offer back in southern New Jersey, which again was a better job offer, and he didn't couldn't decide whether to take it or not take it. My legal husband and the other woman, I mean, they they were just so distraught over the loss of their own relationship that they were just going back and forth and back and forth with all these um, love letters. I mean, they were coming into my home my with my legal husband daily. And I tolerated them because uh, at one point I felt as if she was my best friend. Mm. But uh, anyway, ultimately said, I, I'm trying to fix things here, mm. which, which is not where I'm thinking, well, what if you come back, you know, you take the job, obviously the cross-sexual relationships are better for whatever reason, and, and I never did understand why. Uh, I move in with the other guy. She moves in with my legal husband, and the kids get to pick where they want to live. Uh, so that's what happened, and that was sheer hell. My soulmate became my hellmate. Mm. He was screaming at me. He was screaming at my sons. Uh, he was slamming his fist on the table. He said he wanted to make me angry. And at one point he did, I mean, I just totally lost. And he was slamming glasses into the wall and I had to get out. But where at that point could I go? Out on the street, basically, with three teenage sons still to care for. So, you know, unless you have specific questions. Well, I mean, my first thought is this is a whole separate show and then it's a whole separate weekend and then it's a whole separate course, right? We could go, there's so many places to go. Well, I, I will add just one more point to this, which is, um, you know, I, I always, I think, kind of been asking myself the question, who am I? And there were all these conflicting rules out there and I never knew which rules to follow. Uh, and, and I have a, some stories about that too. So that while it ripped apart two functional, uh, culturally acceptable marriages and families, I did ultimately answer the question, who am I separate and apart 
from all these relationships I have. I'd always been my parents' daughter and my son's mother and my husband's wife. And I took my husband's surname when we married because it was what you did. So I did, and the connection was a connection with something I call a power greater than myself or a living, breathing energy or other words that I use for it. I mean, it's been, that experience has been given all kinds of names, God, Allah, universal energy, power greater than myself, the Tao, uh, tons of others. They, the words are placeholders for something that is ineffable. Two so things I'm, come to me. Go. <laughs> One is that how courageous it was. <laughs> and the second thing is how, well, three things. Okay, three things. One, you know, we just so want to belong right? We want to belong. We want to be part of something greater than ourselves. And then in the end, we, we ultimately, the ultimate belonging is belonging to ourselves, the beloved, right? Um, and the third thing is um, we spend the beginnings of our lives absorbing how to be, who to be, you know, how to navigate the world with, with these very strict guide rails and rules and then we spend for those of us that awaken right to to ask to begin to ask those questions with great curiosity we spend the rest of our lives undoing it all right and so that <laughs> yeah that yeah, experience that's was kind of like really it feels really pivotal for you in the sense that it was um you know a, a very potent and powerful way to break free of the chains and and you know always co-creating these things but with great curiosity and courage and interest and that you embarked on something really daring really really daring and i'm in awe of that we, well we did but it felt like curiosity and exploration at the time and boy i learned a lot i had to go into my unconscious and I got thrown into my unconscious and my subconscious to explore, which, you know, I'd always been on the surface of my life, which was pretty smooth and going fine for the most part. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was a big shift for me and I'd always considered myself an intellectual agnostic. You know, what's this God thing that people are talking about? I certainly didn't believe on an old man with a long white beard sitting on a cloud with a thunderbolt in his hand waiting to strike me dead. But what's this God thing that people keep talking about? But then I'm, and you say, you, you see me, us as being courageous, but I know when I was out on the streets with no money in my own pocket, with three kids still to take care of. It, I did not feel courageous. It was, am I going to roll over and die? Or am I going to pick myself up and take the next step and the next step and the next step, having no idea how I was going to do it or where? or where I was going to go. So suddenly that moment is a different storyline, but the same moment in that hotel room in Warsaw. Are you gonna be the professional? Are you gonna lay down or are you gonna rise? 
are you going to overcome? I'm getting goosebumps as you're talking. <laughs> so we, we come for so so it seems like the theme is overcoming today, yeah. That and that and singing, and we are at the end of our third segment now. Uh, I'm your host today, Dr. Janet Smith Warfield. My guest, Christine Powers. What a blast is all I can say. <laughs> we're live streaming on YouTube and bold. Or, no, we're live streaming on YouTube <laughs> and Facebook. I will get this right. Platform is Bold Rave Media. Join us when we come back for our final segment. What if there were a super tiny device that could diagnose the brain and is smaller than a single human hair? What if you could see inside the brain to help an epilepsy patient during surgery or to help the fight against Parkinson's disease? Dr. Patricia Broderick is proud to announce the Broderick Probe, a biomedical and electronic breakthrough. Imagine a probe to help with the understanding and potential cure of brain-related diseases. To learn more, listen live to the Easy Sense Radio Show with host Dr. Broderick, Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern, on the Bold Brave Media Network and TuneIn Radio. And to help support the Broderick Foundation, please go to Easy sense.com and learn how with your help we can fight these horrific brain disorders that's easysense.com to learn more and help support the broderick foundation author radio show host and coach john m hawkins reveals strategies to help gain perspective build confidence find clarity achieve goals john m hawkins new book Coached to Greatness, unlock your full potential with limitless growth. Published by iUniverse, Hawkins reveals strategies to help readers accomplish more. He believes the book can coach them to greatness. Hawkins says that the best athletes get to the top of their sport with the help of coaches, mentors, and others. He shares guidance that helps readers reflect on what motivates them. We discover and assess their core values, philosophies, and competencies, find settings that allow them to be the most productive, and track their progress towards accomplishing goals. Listen to John Hawkins' My Strategy, Saturdays, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. Did you know that your beliefs create your entire reality, but it's the subconscious beliefs that do most of the creating? Belief Shifter and Life Coach Shiraz can help you identify those limiting beliefs and eliminate them, often in a single session. Like it was almost instant, like... I had relief right away. Creating better health, relationships, careers, and finances. Let Shiraz help you step out of safety. We're back. <laughs> Let me get my focus going here. I'm on planetary peace, power, and prosperity. I'm your host, Dr. Janice Smith Warfield. My guest today, the amazing Christine. Powers, we're live streaming on YouTube and Facebook. Platform is Bold Brave Media. So, Christine, I just want to thank you so much for a point, an amazing, enlightening conversation, which I think neither one of us actually expected. But just taking a minute or two, uh, 
if people want to know more about Asa Adirondacks or the Philosopher's Camp or you, how mm -hmm. do they how do they do that? Christinepowers.com. They can learn about me and the Philosopher's Camp. They can learn about the um, three-month program that I do working with people in the soul of their business, the business of their soul. And uh, Asa Adirondack, which is A-S-A, -A, and then well, Adirondack is tricky to spell. Okay. Um, that will preview um, this spring. We are working hard right now to develop all of the brand. Uh, so christinepowers.com for now is perfect. And they can learn about me and the work I do in Philosopher's Camp and what's coming here. We're also building a labyrinth, a Chartres Cathedral replica labyrinth out on our land. Um, we've hired an Irish designer, mm -hmm. Tony Christie, and um, <gasps> we have a lot going on this year. So we're very excited for it. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you're honoring us and our, the people who are watching this with your presence today. It's been fun, energizing, and exciting. So thank you so much. It's my honor and really quite a pleasure. And I, I always love these conversations because they go wherever they want to go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wherever they it's been very in. enjoyable. Thank you. I, I'm <laughs> very honored to be a guest. Okay, well, thank you. Take care. And next week, my host is going to be the host of her own, she, of, of Planetary Peace, Power, and Prosperity. All right. Is your phone on, Constance? If it is, got to turn it off. No, it's not on. Okay. We do the best we can. Everything's cutting out. It's we freezing. Do, we do the best we can with what we've got. Anyway, what are your intentions for next week? Are you going to talk about the seven laws of inner peace? Yes, we are going to talk about the seven laws of inner peace. I apologize. Um, I have a workbook that's available. Um, it's not available, actually. It's called The Seven Laws of Winning, where we apply the seven laws to whatever success one wishes to accomplish. And it can be higher consciousness, and that's always the point with respect to us. Always. If we can do that, then... And it does look as if we've, we've lost Constance. Uh, Freddie, do you have any time to help her with the logistics before next week? Um, but it's information. Okay, and you do I'm trying please. to follow you, but I have, everything's breaking up. I'm so sorry. We do um, the best we can with what we've got. But next week, Constance will be host. She will be talking about the seven laws. Uh, it, you just changed the title on me. Uh, oh, mind magnetizes success. Okay. And the seven laws of inner peace is another book. Okay, good. I can read that. They're, all, they're all related. 
In other words, we're applying the principles and we're using mindfulness, which is also something that I teach for attorneys, for professionals, for people who are really on the firing line all the time. And what we want to do here is use that quietness, that mindfulness to make the correct decisions and magnetize our decisions and recognize. And for me, consciousness and raising that both for myself and those around me, as well as the entire planet, as in planetary peace, is so important. And that's what this is going to be all about. And we'll get the technical part together. And I call it the seven laws of winning. But in reality, it's mindfulness magnetizing what it is that we can recognize as our power, the power of the divine, the power, power of the highest order. That's what's important. That's what we're going to talk about. And it works. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to tuning in, Constance. Uh, Freddie, how are we on time? Okay, we've got two and a half minutes left. So if you want to say a couple of sentences more, you're more than welcome to do that. Okay, what I'd really like to say is I went through a dark night of the soul with respect to a case that I was dealing with that also had to do with my husband, my law partner, all, and it became a cultural um, <laughs> quandary. And it was horrible. And, and it was in, all over the world, okay? And it was between living and dying on a feeding tube. That's what gave rise to this, to the seven laws of inner peace. The other things that I am doing now, and this was 20 years ago, the other things that I'm doing now is taking that to a higher level and taking it to the place where we go within ourselves and really find that divine peace, that divine power, and then we bring it to ourselves. We bring it to our health. I'm focused on health. All of this sickness, all of this illness, all of this crazy mental problems. No, we have power over this. And that's what's important. That's the kind of thing we're going to be talking about. And this is mastering, mastering your mind, mastering your emotions, mastering your body, and then shining out on the planet, on everybody and everything. <laughs> Thank you, Constance. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say next year. Next Thank no, you. No, not next next year. Let me get that one correct. Next <laughs> next next Monday. This has been Planetary Peace, Power, and Prosperity. I have been your host today, Dr. Janet Smith Warfield, with my guest Christine Powers. Uh, and we are live streaming on through Bulgrave Media on Facebook and YouTube. Join Constance next week. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody. This has been Planetary Peace, Power, and Prosperity. Listen each week as four unique co-hosts, Dr. Janet Smith-Warfield, Duncan McClintock, Angelica Christie, and Carolyn McGee will help to bring peace, power, and prosperity into your own life. 
Let's create, co-create, and manifest a peaceful, powerful, prosperous planet together and forever. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.